I was going to mention uh, off the back of saying about uh, our theme this evening being all about praise, all about positivity, and I nearly added, unlike this morning, which sounds a bit <laughs> unkind, since our preacher this morning is actually playing the piano. But I, I say that uh, because it was a very difficult subject that David uh, addressed this morning. Why doesn't God answer my prayer? Now, I guess we wouldn't want to put our hands up and say, well, that's me that would have ever said that. But I would dare to suggest that we've each been in that place that's quite a dark place where there's been things that we petitioned, that we sought God for, whether it's someone becoming better or somebody becoming a Christian or whatever it may well be. And it just doesn't seem to get the response that either we're looking for or there just doesn't appear any light at the end of the tunnel. And I, I thought David was so uh, honest as he uh, addressed that subject this morning. If you weren't able to be here, do please uh, take a listen of that uh, online, uh, which will be there probably within the next couple of days ago. Different myths that, that David blew apart. Sometimes we can conclude God doesn't care. God doesn't know what he's doing. God isn't capable of answering. This is not our God. And there was the encouragement through looking at the book of Habakkuk, which I'm sure isn't a book that we look at every day of the week, for ourselves to be honest, to be patient, and to then have faith. Obviously, David unpacked that, um, and I would encourage uh, you to have a listen uh, if you're able. We're going to turn to the Word of God uh, now. I mentioned about this being a positive uh, passage. It's from the book of 2 Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel and chapter 7. Uh, and Paul is and Pat. It's a joint effort. So we have a team who's going to come and bring our reading this evening. Paul uh, and Pat, who worship normally down at the United Church, but join us Sunday evening. So 2 Samuel chapter 7. God's promised some amazing stuff to David. This is his response. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said... Who am I, Sovereign Lord? What is my family that you have brought me this far? And as as if this was not enough in your sight, Sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, Sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, Sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word, And according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, Sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself? and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God... Keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. 
Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Thank you very much, both of you. Rearrange all my stuff here. Is anybody any good at accents? Any good at accents? Actually, Chris is a bit of a drama person, so I may well uh, test this out. There's an American uh, phrase about them having an attitude of gratitude. So in in an American accent, Chris... Round of applause, please. This is our Mike Yarwood, obviously, of... Uh, let's go back a little bit, isn't it? Our Mike Yarwood, obviously, of Dorchester Community Church. Uh, having an attitude of gratitude. What we're thinking about this evening is our own having uh, um, an attitude of gratitude that we may well develop and cultivate in the same way that there's something here that David prays, which is good for us to pick up on and hopefully uh, copy. Uh, good parents or good parents try to bring up their children um, with good manners. And if you're a parent, you may well have uh, had that battle and sometimes your kids get it right and you feel great. And other times, maybe they don't. And maybe you can think of times uh, back, either with children or grandchildren, and, and they've gone round to friends' houses and then you've gone round to pick them up and you're desperately eager that as the child is going to leave the house what they're going to say to the person who's let them stay there in that person's, the other person's house to play with that person's friend. So you hover on the doorstep. Oh, bye then. And you don't want to get to that place of having to say, what do you say? Because we're desperately eager for the child themselves to say, thank you for having me. And then parent goes, yes. Well, We understand that picture, but maybe for ourselves as adults, we need that kind of little bit of a nudge sometimes. We're not always that quick to burst forth with gushing praise or gushing forth thank yous. David certainly was um, here. Our own prayer life, as we've already kind of uh, mentioned in this uh, series, the, the bulk of that usually tends to be focused on the shopping list and the asking. And we're looking at different elements of prayer. And I know a few weeks back when we introduced the whole variety of prayer, we went right the way through the book of Acts. And, and some people were thinking afterwards, crumbs, that was just so fast. Not sure that I got all of that, but that's okay. What I wanted us to see was a whole picture of the different ways and context of which God's people just uh, related to their Heavenly Father. As opposed to just the shopping list prayer. Last week we thought about not our own speaking at all, but the sense of listening through 
that young lad Samuel and here we are now with Samuel obviously very much grown up uh, in our passage here in 2 Samuel but it's the prayer of David uh, known as one of the greatest prayers in the Bible of course it's because it's God's word it's not just describing um, what David prayed there's something here for you and me to capture hold of and hopefully to emulate There's a researcher by the name of Christian Smith, and uh, he was uh, thinking and questioning and uh, sifting through a whole host of collating information about how people today uh, pray. And he came up with a term called moralistic therapeutic deism, where he said, it seems to me that by and large, people out there seem to view prayer as something that's to do with people feeling like if they live kind of okayish lives, then God will provide the sort of like therapeutic uh, benefits as some form uh, of reward like self-esteem and uh, and happiness and all will be okay nothing really uh, that's fully understood about a biblical passion for prayer which might include repentance before a holy god or relationship with our creator so anything other than that is maybe a warped view of prayer and it limits god's job to just making people happy we want to be happy we'd rather have a smile on our face but Actually, there's something that's a lot more important than that, isn't it? David's prayer here focuses on uh, praise. So one of the reasons we're, we're looking at this a bit earlier in, in, the, uh, in the evening is so that we've got that opportunity when we respond in song to really capture hold of letting our lungs do the talking and have that opportunity to praise God together. As you go through um, chapter 7, there's a sense of awe, adoration, devotion. David is so grateful for what God has done, for what he is doing and what he will do. It's like this ongoing uh, thank you speech we had um, uh, yesterday in Cafe uh, Church. We we wrote a list before we actually looked at the passage. And uh, the the question was, well, having an attitude of gratitude, what is it that we may well want to thank God for? And Fraser, who's probably only about 12, was writing up uh, a list of some of the things that were shared. Uh, Thank you that you see our past, present and future but that you accept and still love us. What a great uh, prayer. Thank you that you fulfill your promises, uh, even if they were given a long time ago. Thank you for things that we often uh, miss out saying thank you for, like our safety, our home, our church, for food. Thank you that we can be gathered together. Uh, Thank you for joy. Uh, Thank you uh, for, I don't think that's necessarily thank you for joy, but we'll say thank you for joy. That's got two, um, thank you for joy. Thank you for England's victory 7-0. Well, that came from a, a young lad but it was maybe worth uh, while uh, thank you Uh, uh, thank you that we are known by God and understood that we are loved despite who we are that God's grace is amazing and yet undeserved and thank you God for your faithfulness over and over well that was fantastic to have all of that stuff rattled off uh, yesterday morning that Fraser uh, recorded for us why is David so buzzed up and positive Because there are other times in the Psalms where, let's be honest, we like to view the Psalms as being very spiritual and help us to feel close to God. But he was a bit of a grump bag at times, wasn't he? Uh, In terms of some of the stuff that he chucked uh, up towards his heavenly father. But that was also his means of prayer. That cry out to God because he was honest about where things were really at. And David was encouraging that this morning. Uh, Our David, not... uh, 
Uh, not the biblical David, not that our David is the unbiblical David. I'm going to get myself to all sorts of knocks here. But still, okay. So let me just uh, kind of summarise a little bit about the first half of that chapter that we didn't have an opportunity uh, to read through. Why was David so positive? Well, there'd been this sense of promise that God had given. And it covered maybe four things. One, that God would have David's son Solomon build him a house, a temple. Two, that if Solomon sinned against God, which he did, uh, yes, he would be disciplined, but he wouldn't lose his throne or have God's mercy taken away from him. Thirdly, the throne of David's kingdom was to be established forever. And fourthly, that God's own Messiah would be a descendant of David, but ultimately it would be God's son who would reign forever, thus fulfilling the promise that David's kingdom would never end. And it's that last part of God's promise to David that's by far and away uh, the most important, that through David, the Messiah would come. Actually, I'm just trying to work out whether or not, because I'm recording this, whether or not I can read a text out at the same time. I I won't do that. I may well cancel it, and then I'll get all upset. I had a a text after this morning. um, Don't know if it's anything from what David had had said, but a younger person and text me out the blue saying uh, about uh, how how come that Jesus came through. It was called the son of David and wasn't Jesus a, a Jew and... Uh, and what about the Messiah? And what's the difference between Jews and Christians? Very uh, honest, good question. Very honest, good question. When in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, we get the fulfillment of this promise here in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, where we read the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is divided into two main parts. God's promise and then the prayer of praise in response. I've summarised, albeit very, very uh, briefly, that first part. Don't really do justice to that. But our focus is on the response for that which God says and that which God does. That's what we're thinking about. So we're going to focus on those verses that Paul and Pat read to us. Firstly, we see from verse 18 uh, onwards, it's good to humble ourselves when we pray. I'm not into country music, I'll be honest about that, but I am aware that there was a song that even hit the charts that had a line in the chorus that goes like this, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. I think it was written by Ian Blackie, I'm not entirely sure. Well, that kind of isn't exactly what David is kind of prompting there in terms of a sense of humility. Verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And, and Ali Whiting, that was uh, leading yesterday morning at Cafe Church, said he didn't, he didn't just go in and had a seat and then prayed. That's not the meaning of his going in and sitting before the Lord. It's his being seriously selective about taking a position before God to spend time and then out of that sense of space and time to gush forth his heart before God. It's a quantity of time when uh, it speaks of here that David went and sat. Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And if this were not enough, 
In your sight, O sovereign Lord, you've also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? A real sense of humility uh, that we depict here from David. He recognised who he was before the Lord. He's saying that he's not really even worth uh, being uh, taken notice of by God. And I guess we, uh, we, we are not David, but in the same way, it would be quite right for us to think, well, who am I that God, that you would want to have anything to do with me whatsoever? I'm kind of like just one of a number. I'm just a dot amidst all the other dots that there are in this world. And yet, as well as God loving the world, we also know that he knows our very name. This is your maker who loves you and wants the best for you and has a plan and a purpose for you. David is, interestingly, only repeating back to God what God had said to him earlier uh, in uh, verse 8. This is what the Almighty says, I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. And so as he then, um, uh, as God then speaks to David, uh, David hears and kind of draws on that which God had already said. And there's something that's really helpful when we think about our own prayer life before God. Using and quoting scripture within that is often a very helpful uh, uh, means of our own prayer uh, life. Acknowledging what God has maybe already said about us is a good starting point. What is it that God has already said about us? Well, that we're not perfect, that we're not a good person by nature, that we don't deserve anything from God. Well, if that's not a means for ourselves to have a humble spirit, I don't know what is. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's often very different, isn't it, from how people like to view themselves or how people like to be viewed by others. Think of that contrasting picture that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 18 of the religious leader and then you've got the other guy. One saying, well, isn't this great as he's singing his own Jewish version of, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I thank you God that I'm not like those people out there. It's the same kind of principle, was it not? And of course people would look at this guy, what he was wearing, his sense of status, Wow! And then there's another guy beating their breasts. They can't even look up. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And this is what Jesus then says in verse 14. I tell you, it's that man that went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. James chapter 4 and verse 6 supports that uh, in the same vein. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. David's humility is also demonstrated in the fact that he refers to himself as God's servant. Any ideas how many times in that prayer? Ten. Ten. Now, when we were following uh, that reading, we had it read to us. I'll be honest, I wouldn't have guessed 10. Now, I know because I've read during the week, but I, I wouldn't have otherwise. It just kind of like brushes out. We brush over that. 
But there's something very deliberate about David and how he relates to his God. It's important for us to understand, isn't it, that foundation to all true biblical prayers. God's the master. We are just uh, the servant. We sing a song, sometimes a hymn, uh, God, that you are the potter and I am the clay. Help me to be willing to let you have your way. David, of course, wanted to build God this house, that temple. And that sounds kind of an okay thing to do. In fact, a a very um, commendable thing to do. God's response was, no, you've shed too much blood. It's not going to be you. Tough. How do we respond when we thought we've said or asked for the right thing? And then that's kind of a response that we get. Well, David didn't disagree with God or argue with God or sulk. He accepted God's will and acknowledged that God was in charge and that he was his servant. In that model prayer where Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus said we should pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And David said something very similar this morning, but we've not shared our notes, but I'm still going to read the quote that I picked up uh, this week. As someone has said, the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. We're obviously reading the same books, but it's the, the same thing said in slightly a different way. That kind of reversal of whose will shall be done is a real challenge, isn't it? But hopefully, if we follow the pattern of David, it will bring us to our knees. It's good to humble ourselves when we pray. Next, let's thank God for all that he has done. That's what David does from verses 20 to 22. Understanding God's will and plan brought tremendous encouragement and and astonishment to David. As he witnessed God's presence and heard God's word, David stood in complete and utter bewilderment. When was the last time that we were in that place? In response to what maybe God has said uh, or done. As he heard the promises of God, David was led into this incredible place of maybe the unveiled glory of God. And all he could do was gush forth praise and thanks. Acknowledging that everything that God had done for him was done out of God's grace, really. There's nothing to do with David. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are. There is no one like you. There is no God but you. And we have heard with our own ears. It's all about him. It's all about him. Nothing to do with David. Even though we like to put David on a pedestal, well at least until maybe chapter 11 comes along. Now you're going to have a little bit of a sneak, aren't you? But you can probably work it out. Yes, you whispered it. Somebody's very very good. Well done. Mastermind taking place at the back there. The quiz was last night, by the way, not this evening. Which went very well, by the way. That sense of David understanding God's grace. We speak about grace uh, a lot. We probably use the word here every week, I, I would imagine, uh, over a weekend. 
It's a regular word, isn't it, in the Christian vocabulary. We talk about grace, uh, we sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Some churches have the word grace in their title, in terms of uh, what they're called. This is what the Bible says. It says that we are saved by grace, Ephesians 2.8. That we stand in grace, Romans 5 verse 2. We live our Christian lives according to the power of God's grace, Romans chapter 4 verse 16. How would you define grace? Anybody want to actually hazard a, a, a little bit of a thought? What comes to mind? God giving us what we don't deserve. God giving us what we don't deserve. Wow, great answer. God giving us what we don't deserve. Yes. Undeserved love. Undeserved love. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. You're going to say the same as you? Well, you two have written the same book, maybe. Right, okay. <laughs> Fantastic answers, each and every one of those answers. We use the word grace. Are we aware that it's all down to him? A gift that we can't earn, a gift that we don't deserve and yet desperately need if we're going to have uh, that sense of our, our, our own salvation and live a life that God is able to delight in. It's that undeserved gift that David is wanting to acknowledge in his prayer. Sometimes we kind of think we're okay, or we look at some of the things that have occurred in our lives, particularly things for the church or in the church or spiritual things, and it's so difficult to not be tempted to think, well, I did that all right, didn't I? Hey, there's two and a half thousand people that were at that remembrance parade, and a couple of people that have commented positively. I'm glad I got the words right. Can you see what I mean? The mayor sent me a letter. Aren't I good? Everything. We need to give thanks to God for who he is. His grace is all about him. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what I have done. What the Lord has done. Do you know it? Let's just sing the chorus, shall we? After three. One, two, three. Count your blessings, name them. One by one. Count your blessings, God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Give yourselves a round of applause. That's very good. That was almost better than Chris's American accent. Tremendous. It's good to seek that again, to just remind ourselves of those words, isn't it? David is certainly very thankful. And that brings on to David's thankfulness that rolls into uh, being, th- is being thankful for God's faithfulness in the past. Verses 23 and 24. Uh, when it comes uh, to his remembering God's faithfulness in the past, there was no greater example than how God had treated his own people uh, Israel and sometimes there's a temptation for us to think of that that uh, chosen people back then has not really been connected to ourselves here in 2019 but as God's church we are his chosen people aren't we so we ought to understand in the same way as David was giving God thanks for his hand upon God's people back then on top of that we ought to give God thanks for his hand and leading upon us in the here and now as his 
people. Like David, we can look back and thank God for his faithfulness shown towards us over the years. Not just corporately, but individually as well. And that's a good thing for us to reflect. Not just always on the same thing. Sometimes whenever there's an opportunity for somebody to give God thanks for his faithfulness in the past, you know that certain people are going to say certain things um, if they've got that opportunity in their lives. Let's always be looking to gush forth praise for God's faithfulness in different ways. Because he has been faithful to us all across those years. Maybe those things that immediately come to mind, but other things maybe too as well. Good for us to remember God's faithfulness in the past because that is going to give us faith that what? In the future, he's going to do exactly the same again. If we know that God has been faithful in the past and we're remembering that and acknowledging that and we're stating that, Scripture is very good about being positive about our confession. That doesn't have to be a negative thing. It can be a positive thing as we're speaking out that which is true. And if that was true way back then, well, you know what? It may well be that this God is going to be faithful in the here and now and in what lies ahead. What are some of the promises of God that maybe we can hold on to that reflect that? I'm going to read just three. I'm going to read them from a different translation so that you're not uh, just thinking of the immediate words that might come to mind. Sometimes a different translation. We capture hold of something afresh. Psalm 34 verse 17. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. Turn that promise into a prayer. Claim God's forgiveness for yourself. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 onwards. So don't worry about these things. Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you are able to endure. Thank God for the faithfulness in the past. And that's what David is doing through 23 and 24. And then lastly, the the remaining verses... Thank God for his will to be done. It's not always easy to accept what God's uh, will is, but we need to come to that place anyway. One pastor used to say it's not easy for some people to accept God's grace gracefully. I like that. David's prayer appropriates The promises of God. You see that particularly coming through in the remaining verses. What do I mean by that? Just because God promises something doesn't mean to say that we automatically possess it. If that promise is left unclaimed, if you like. For example, we may appropriate his promise for forgiveness. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness but the the sentence starts with the word if doesn't it here's another one we may appropriate his promise for guidance i will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go i will guide you with my eyes psalm 32 verse 8 the lord says we may appropriate his promise for help hebrews 4 16 let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace 
in the time of need. All of those are promises, but we need to believe them or they're not owned as being ours. Do you see the difference? It's like there being a gift that's offered, but then we just sit there. That's no good, is it? You need to take hold of that which is offered to you, to us. If I don't confess, if I don't seek him for guidance, if I don't come to help for him, to him for help, if, 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 then I'm not going to be able to own those promises of God because I've not really done my, my part. Michael Wilcox said this, he said, Prayer is never more effective than when it claims from God what he has said that he will do in any case. The winds of emotion can easily drive the ship off course, but provided the rudder and sails are properly set, it is those very winds which will drive it in the right direction. So God's revealed words correct and actually harness the impulses of the human heart and the wise believer will bring emotion and revelation together as he comes before the Lord. David prayed, And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise that you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you have promised. David's praying that back, reflecting that back. God had already said it. He's holding on to that. Although promises have to be appropriated for ourselves, there are some promises that don't need any input from ourselves whatsoever. And in one sense, these verses reflect more of the latter. Because these promises were unconditional. Because regardless of how David responded, God had already said, I am going to do this. I'm going to do it anyway. And if God says I'm going to do something, guess what's going to happen? That is indeed going to happen. God was going to fulfil his promises regardless of whether or not David believed it or not. Other generic promises are like that. There's a promise about the second coming of Jesus. Well, it actually matters tuppence whether you or I believe it. I'm going to tell you now, it's going to happen. Because it says it in God's word. Or think about judgment day. It doesn't really matter whether you or I believe that or not. It's going to happen. Because God has promised it. And you can think of other things uh, like that maybe as well. They're all unconditional promises that will take place. And are not subject to men's or women's faith. We'd be wise to take those promises seriously and maybe adjust our lives accordingly. Lots for us to think about in terms of our response to who God is and to what he's done. And what struck me as well as we come to, to close in this part of our service is that all of this praise is before any petition. We don't know how long David was pouring all this stuff out. We may well have just had a snapshot as I'm sure is the case. But what about us? Sometimes, isn't it true, we can either not pray because we're in that place, that that's a struggle, or our prayers are maybe from a wrong uh, motive. And that's good for us to think about too. James certainly is pretty harsh on that front. Listen to what he says in chapter 4. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war uh, to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because you ask with wrong motives. You only want what will give you pleasure. And that sense of whose will or whose glory we're about is a, is a huge challenge here 
for each and every one of us. More about that, I dare say, over the coming weeks. But that's the kind of prayer that can flag up something that's unhealthy within each of us, isn't it? Maybe our our motive, our self-centeredness, jealousy, hatred, bitterness, whatever it is. And of course, if that's what's forming our prayers, and then we don't get what we want, well, then we're going to hate prayer even more because we don't get what we want. And then we feel, ah, it's not working. It doesn't work. So there's that check in place that we need to think, have we got that right heart and attitude that David did in terms of humility, in terms of recognising the place that we are and the place that he, or our almighty God, is. So let's examine our own hearts, humble ourselves and then be ready to lift up God's name and pour forth praise. I love that verse in Hebrews chapter 16. This is the New Living Translation. I've mentioned it once, but this is what we're going to do right now as we come before our God. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Grace and mercy. Fancy a dose of that? Let's come before our God. And then after I've prayed, we're going to praise God in song. And we're going to pause while uh, Sarah is going to come and lead us in a time of prayer and intercession. And then we're going to praise God some more towards the time of closing our service together. But firstly, let's pause and be still before him. And if you're listening to this online, why don't you do the same? Just take time out to be still before you put the kettle on. Let's think about where we are in our place before God. Let's think about what it might mean for ourselves to humble ourselves before him. To allow him by his Holy Spirit to then lift us up. Father God, we thank you for your grace, that which is undeserved and that which we could never earn. But wow, do we need it? We'd be lost without it as much as we'd be lost without you. We thank you, Lord God, that your heart was to come to where we are, to redeem us. To seek a means to forgive us. We thank you for the potential that there is for each and every one of us simply through what Jesus has done on our behalf. Jesus, we want to say thank you for your willingness to come. And just like David now, we pray for that sense of a fresh opening of our eyes of what it cost this Jesus. To reflect once more over the gushing, amazing love that Father God has for those whom he's created. And that includes you. God, we say thank you. Thank you for loving us as we are. Thank you for loving us so much that you don't want us to stay like that. You want us to... Be loved towards a better place. 
And whether that better place is thinking on some of those things that we were struggling with this morning about when we feel that our prayers and our longings and our cries have not been heard or understood or answered. Whatever it might be. God, we want to say thank you that you still love us. No matter what we throw at you. No matter what we don't yet get. Touch our hearts by your spirit. Illuminate our minds. That we might see Jesus. In such a way that all we are able to do. Is praise his incredible name. For who he is. For what he's doing and for that which he will yet do. And we pray these things in his risen name. Amen.